Would you grab your Bibles and turn to John 21? We'll read our text. John 21. Before we do that, last night at about uh, um, 10 o'clock or so, we were out in the backyard, and I don't know what your dog is like, but um, our dog likes cicadas. Um, and so our big dog got a cicada in her mouth, and it's just buzzing away, and she seems t- totally content with it. Although eventually she just began to shake her head but didn't want to let go. And my prayer this morning, since I saw that last night, of, is that God would shake us today. That it would be a little bit different today for us. And that maybe you've come into the place today knowing that in your heart of hearts you need God to do something new. And so I pray today that he doesn't put a cicada in your mouth. But I do pray today that he would shake us. Right? We need his movement in our lives more than anything. So let's read this. So after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. He said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. And he threw himself into the sea. That Peter (laughs) just wants to be with Jesus. Impulsive, but beautiful. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land about a hundred yards off. But when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You may be seated, kids. You can meet your teachers out in the foyer. So as we begin in here this morning, this now begins the now what in regard to the aspect of the eleven's life. What are they going to do now? They have walked with him for three years. He's died. He has rose from the dead. He has revealed himself to them two times. Now it's going to be a third time now. He has been alive for a number of weeks. It's probably been a number of weeks now, possibly since they have seen him. They were told to go to Galilee. They obey him and they have arrived there. So they get to Galilee They don't know where he is. Galilee's not a tiny place, not a huge place. 
but they don't know where he is and they're just waiting. We do not do waiting very well, do we? You would think with all the waiting that we have to do in our life that we would at some point in time get better at it, but it seems as if with all the waiting that we do, we don't get any better at waiting. Maybe you are here today in the room and you're at this place where you are waiting on God and you're waiting on Him and you don't know what to do. What's next? What, what do I do as you're waiting? So this is where they are. They don't know what to do. They've been told to go to Galilee to meet them there. Where do they find Him? Um, what's going to happen and take place? And so we will see in John chapter 21, we have three more messages and we are done with the verse-by-verse walking through this. We'll have some summary kind of things that we'll do um, after this is over. But as far as verse-by-verse walking through this, three more things. Peter's going to dominate much of looking at his life, uh, chapter 21. The purpose of John 21, by the way, though, is, did you notice a while ago, three times John says, he appeared to them and revealed himself to them. He does it three times. That's the purpose of John 21. It's another resurrection appearance to give affirmation that he, he did rise from the dead. They saw him. They spent time with him. And so John gives this emphasis that is there. So sometime between day 8, which is when Thomas shows back up in the room and Jesus comes again, and Thomas is able to touch the wounds in Jesus, in, in day 40, this instance, John chapter 21 happens. We don't know exactly when it is, but it happens sometime uh, there. Acts 1-3 tells us that um, he appeared to them uh, during those 40 days. And again, that doesn't mean that they saw him every single day. The appearance is there that he's been gone for a bit. They've not seen him since day 8, and they've gone to Galilee, and they are waiting. And so... John gives great emphasis as he concludes the gospel to Peter and Peter's restoration. It seems as if John is wanting to communicate to us through the leadership of the Spirit the beauty of the restoration of Peter. Peter's still broken over what's happened, and we will see some aspects of that uh, in the days ahead. So this emphasis on the life of Peter shows the incredible humility of John. After all, he's written this book. And at the end of it, John's not going to talk about himself. He's going to show how Jesus uniquely restored Peter in his brokenness and in the things that he did. Now, before we begin to walk through the text, one other thought I want to share this morning. From from Jerusalem to Galilee is a 76-mile trek. Now, for us, we're like, okay, 76 miles, I can get in my car and just go. No, no. You didn't do that 2,000 years ago. You know that. So 76 miles, they go from Jerusalem to Galilee. Now, did they all go together? Did they go in smaller groups? Did they go individually, just knowing that they're going to meet there? We don't know. But I would venture to say that probably they have gone together. At least some of them have gone together. 76 miles walking together. You don't do that in one day, by the way. It takes several days. And I wondered about this journey for them, and I wondered about the journey that you and I have to take as well in our faith. We have these journey walks like this, where we know we're supposed to go somewhere, and we are walking with people, and there's discussions that we have as we are traveling to the place that the Lord has told us to go, to do, 
And so I wondered about the things they must have talked about in the 76-mile journey. What did they talk about at night when they got up in the morning? Did they reflect much about um, the last three years? Now, back in those days, if we remember in John chapter 4, that if a Jew was to leave Jerusalem and to go up to Galilee, you had to go through Samaria. And so most Jews would go around Samaria, but Jesus in John 4, they went straight through Samaria to get to the northern part of Israel. Did they do that on this journey? Did they go through? Did they want to see the woman that Jesus had changed her life? Did they want to see what God had done? If you remember, there was this great revival in John 4 where this whole region of Samaritans came and they believed in Jesus and Jesus and the disciples stayed extra days um, with them. Did they go through and find out what's happening and taking place? We don't, we don't know any of that, but here they are. They've arrived at a rendezvous point and they get another revelation of Jesus. And that's the first thing I want to point out this morning for a few minutes is I want to talk about the rendezvous point that Jesus gives them and another revelation. So look again with me in verse 1. Let's just read that together. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. And again, I just want to emphasize this. John is emphasizing the purpose of the conclusion of this story being included here was to give another confirmation that there were eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus. And so he repeats this twice in the early part, and then at the end in verse 14, he reminds us of the word revealed again. So what kind of revelation is this one going to be? We know what it was like on the day of the resurrection, what Jesus did. But what's this one going to be like? We will see as we walk through this, it is much more personal. Jesus very tenderly calling them to follow His ways, for them to not be in control of their life, that He had now called them to a purpose. And it was a a big purpose. They had a unique role that they were going to do. And they were not to live this unique role in their own direction and their own power. They were to live it following the Lord. They are fishing. We find them on this day for fish when he has already told them that they are to fish for who? Men. So they've kind of gone back and we'll talk a little bit more about this. And so this phrase after this refers to the previous resurrection appearances. And so here again, on this day, Jesus steps back into their lives, into an ordinary situation, into something they we're very familiar with, and they would see him and they would hear from him. Earlier, um, I want you to go to Matthew just for a second. Go to Matthew chapter 28. This is important for us to see. Earlier, the angel had told him to go to Galilee. So they're in Galilee because the angel has told them there. The Lord has told them that as well. Matthew 28, go to verse 7. We're going to read just a couple of verses here. So this is the angel, Matthew 28, 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. Now go down to verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now go to verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed him, them. Let's read 16 again. This is important. 
Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So I have a question, okay? Where are they when we find them in John 21? Where are they? They're at a lake, right? Where did Jesus tell them to go? Hello, we just read it twice. To a mountain. Jesus said, go to the mountain and I'm going to meet you there. Where do we find them? At the mountain? No, we find them at the lake and we find them fishing under the direction and the leadership of Peter. So they have, let's just be honest, are they blatantly sinning? Like doing, doing felony things? No. Okay, we could say, no, not that kind of stuff. But are they being obedient? No, they're not. So sometimes God tells us to do something and we decide on our own when we're going to get there. Maybe I'll delay it a little bit. Whatever the case may be, Jesus has told them, go to the mountain and I'm going to meet you on the mountain. Now, which mountain? We're not for sure. But, but it's clear that they knew where they were to be. We find seven of them, which means there are four somewhere. Where are the four? Maybe the four are where? On the mountain, where they are supposed to be waiting. So seven of them are there. They're fishing. They're hanging together. They're at the Sea of Galilee, but they are not where Jesus has told them to be. So we don't really know again, but I love this reality of what we see here again. Post-resurrection, you have a group of seven men who have been commissioned to fish for men, not to fish for fish anymore. And Jesus appears to them in a place that they're really not supposed to be to engage them and to call them out of where they are. So the seven probably get there before the others get there. In a sense, they're obedient. They're in Galilee, but they're not specific where Jesus has told them to be on the mountain. And we will see that their hearts are a bit out of place. They're not where they're supposed to be. And we'll see the reality of that here in a moment. So before we move on to point two this morning, I just want to talk about the revelation of Jesus just for a moment. We live this life on earth with its great joys and some mighty heavy burdens sometimes that we have to carry. And in the midst of this life that every human has to face and everyone has to deal with, Jesus came taking on flesh, revealing the knowledge of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the reality is that we get to know this revelation because God has made this revelation known to us. And this now becomes our great joy that we get to know God and, and know what His words are and to be in relationship with Him. And with that reality, we don't want to be anywhere else that he, where He has not told us to be. We want to be where He's told us to be. Because where He has told us to be, there's life, there is blessing, there is mercy, there is forgiveness, there is all of this great thing that is there for us. And yet, at times, the beauty of God's grace and the beauty of God's mercy is, is that we're not where we're supposed to be. And God, through His great, great love, meets us there to tell us and to remind us, this is not where you need to be. I've got a better purpose. I've got a better plan if you will trust me. And so the Spirit stresses here that Jesus gave them another picture of who He is. 
Now let's read, if you would, with me. Read 2 and 3 with me again. And I want to talk about a returning to the past and looking at sometimes followers of Jesus who lack a clear purpose in the moment. And this is where they are. Let's look at verse 2 and 3. So they're waiting. They're not where they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be up on the mountain. And so Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of his other disciples, we don't know exactly who they are. Um, and so they're all together. And, Pi- and Peter said, hey, I'm going to go fishing, guys. He still likely has a boat that's there. This is where he's from. I'm going to go fishing. And they're like, all right, we'll go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Let's talk about this for a moment because I think this is really important. This is kind of the heart of where we're going to be just for a moment. Bottom line, these are men without a purpose in the moment. Yes, they know Jesus is alive. They've seen him. They've talked with him. Others have as well. They've been told to wait to see him again. But here they are and they don't know what to do in the moment. So they're going to kind of do their own thing and they're going to need to be called back again to the life that Jesus had already called them unto. At times, just like them, we love Jesus. We know He is alive, but we are just kind of living a bit aimless, kind of in control of our own life, our own circumstances and things. Peter had not been fishing in quite a while. This had been his life. This was his career a few years back. So in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, listen to these things. While he, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, and they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed Jesus. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat, and their father, and followed him. And I tell you, what initial faith that they had. Did they not just, just to walk away? Hey, follow me, and they just walked away. I also want to note this, what initial faith that they had, but what initial magnetism Jesus must have had to just come along and say, hey, hey, follow me, follow me. And they just left everything, and they began to walk with him and to follow him. So on this day, Jesus has told them to go to the mountain. They're in the same region. But some of them have gone back to their old work and kind of their old ways. It's possible that some of them thought that they would never see Jesus again, even though he said that. But it's been maybe a couple of weeks now since they've seen him. Like, what's happening? What are we to do? Is he even going to show up? Maybe they just were being a bit impatient on this day. You ever been there? Just a bit impatient? We're not, we're not willing to, to wait on God to reveal things a little bit further. Maybe Peter thought that the, time, the, the possibility of his full restoration... Is not going to come. And he just thought, well, I just need to kind of get back to what I'd been doing before. And so he just may have thought, I just need to get back to the old work. Or maybe he thought, we'll go to the mountain. You ever done this with God? Well, God, yeah, I'll go tomorrow. Or God, I'll go next week. I just need to, I need to relax. I need to clear my head. When... If they were, and he will clear their head, but he could have cleared their head on the mountain. And he will do this consistently in our lives. 
even in our little minor wonderings, he will step in again. Now, before they met Jesus, they had an incredible, solid career. And he calls them to follow. They have a calling from God. They have been following him. But everything's different now. He's died. He's risen. They've talked with him. They have seen him. And maybe you and I have been there, just like them, where we are standing on the shore of life and we're wondering, what is next? Instead of waiting patiently for the Lord, here's what we do. We drift out a little bit, step ahead, and we'll just we'll kind of get things rolling ourselves instead of waiting for what Christ wants to. And we just start casting some nets someplace, trying to get things jump-started in our life instead of being where God has told us to be. And simply when those moments happen, we're just occupying time and not pursuing the Lord. And this is where they are. I've been there. Have you? We can kind of think we need to take control and in reigns and not trust. And so tired of waiting around, Peter proposes to the other apostles, let's go fishing. And the 6A, good idea, Peter, let's go fishing. Nobody said, this is not where we're supposed to be. Remember he told us to meet him on the mountain. Guys, let's get to the mountain where Jesus said that we would meet him. I don't think they're being hard-hearted. I don't think at all in this moment that they're not, they don't love the Lord. I think they still love the Lord. They're just, this is, this is the way. Let's just be honest this morning. Honesty's good, right? Sometimes we just like being stuck having control of our own life, even though it's not really getting us anywhere. Or sometimes we think, well, if I, well, if I could just go back to that, everything would be better. And that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes God calls us back to revisit for the purpose of learning. But God's always calling us where? Forward. Moving deeper and further into His will and His heart for us. So again, I I don't think that they're being hard-hearted. I think they're just being a bit negligent and thoughtless in regard to what Jesus had told them to do. So they went out. Most of them professional fishermen. Peter Mayer looked at the night sky and thought, well, it's a good night. I've grown up fishing. It's a good fishing night, good fishing weather. Let's get out. And so they go out on the boat. And do not miss this. Please do not miss this. They caught nothing. Hour after hour after hour after hour. Casting the net, hauling it in. Casting the net, hauling it in. Casting the net, hauling it in. Not one, note, not one single fish. I think this is a a great indication that they are what? They're not where they're supposed to be. And it's not until he shows up on the shore and he speaks into where they are to call them back to himself that everything begins to change. Sometimes in our lives, when things seem so uncertain, we set out to do things to kind of fill our days with our own direction. And when we do this, It doesn't mean that we don't care about God. It's not one of those kind of things. But it's also not putting Him first and really listening to Him. And some days we just fill our days with activity without waiting around or or pursuing Him in deep passion. We should guard all of our days with diligence and not waste them pursuing our own purposes. He had already given them, by the way, just 
days, week, two weeks before, he had already given them direction. In John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, men. I'm sending you. I'm giving you a purpose. You're going to go tell the story to the nations. So what do we need in these moments of our lives? You ever been there? Let's just, again, let's be honest. You ever been there? We kind of, God, got to hurry this thing up, my life, hurry my life up, get me to where we need to go. I need, I need to get to this place. And, and we're waiting and we're waiting and he, he just doesn't seem like he's giving any direction. And so we step out and we kind of do our own thing. And again, it's not, it's not that we're not loving the Lord or we, or we, for, or we do, don't love him. We do love him, but we're just a bit negligent in the moment. So what do we need? We need G- Jesus to come to the shore and to speak into our wondering and to call us back to what we need to do. So they went out got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. All of our work is to be done in the name of Christ and at his command. Professional fishermen on this night with no stories to tell. Boy, I caught one this big, or I did this, or this was this difficult. They toiled and labored all night long over and over and over again and produced nothing. For their efforts. Go back to John 15 just for a second. Hopefully you're in. Back to John 21. If you're not go to John 15. He's going to teach them again on this day. What he has already said in the upper room. John 15 verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now look at that last phrase. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So where were they doing fishing that night? Is that where they were supposed to be? No, it's not where they're supposed to be. So Jesus is going to teach them a lesson. By catching nothing, men who know how to fish, know where the good spots are in the Sea of Galilee, they had grown up fishing there. Cannot catch one single fish until Jesus arrives. And he's going to remind them again, man, you cannot do anything unless I am directing you and guiding you. You must let me do this. And so Jesus, look at verse 4. He arrives just as the day was breaking. And Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. By the way, every time they see the resurrected Jesus... They don't recognize him. Something's different about him. Now that he's in his resurrected body, they don't recognize him. So they're looking, and they see a guy on the shore. He's going to speak to them, but they don't know that it's Jesus. There's something that is different. And so he's told them, listen, or he's going to tell them in a moment, you can't, you can't do anything unless you're connected with me. I'm the one that is to guide you and to lead you. He's told them that in John 15, 5. He's going to teach them again here in this instance. And sometimes in our lives, our nets come up empty. And here's why. Because everything that we're doing is in our own strength, is in our own man-centered wisdom. And who, but when our life is under His leadership and He is directing us, then there is fruit that comes in our lives, we cannot produce anything of lasting value without Jesus. None of that can happen. So Jesus shows up on the shore, and I want you to see the wonder of the moment, how incredible this is. His men have been on the lake 
all night long doing work in their own energy. And then he arrives on the shore, standing them, standing there, watching them continue to work and cast the net out in the morning haze. And he speaks into the lives. Hear this this morning if you are tired, spiritually tired. And you're worn out maybe from physical stuff that's happened and it's begun to affect your spiritual life. Or maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's some other kind of stress thing that just can dominate our life. And I want you to see Jesus speak into the midst of tired people. To call them back to himself, to call them back to real purpose so that they would get their life lined up with him. He knows what they need and what you and I need more than anybody will ever know. And he knows in that moment of all their efforts and how tired they are, they've got to be hungry. That he needs, he needs to speak and to call them back. This can be us at times. Where we are doing something a bit unfocused. Spending our time without any real direction. We're living with a, a lack of purpose. And when this happens, this is, what, this is what takes place in our life. We get tired. We stay up at night. We lose sleep. We eat too much. We don't eat at all. Etc., etc., etc. We need the direction in those moments that only Jesus can give. And we need him to speak and to call us to cast things out to the right place under his direction. Let's talk about just for a moment the reality of the empty nets. Jesus was not directing this fishing expedition. He's on the shore. He was supposed to meet them on the mountain, and they're not there. Now, these men had a calling on their lives to be fishers of men. It was not to fish for fish anymore. That does not mean that they were never to go fishing again. But that was... That was not to be their purpose anymore. They were to fish for people. To fish for the lost. You can fish to the glory of God, can you not? You can work in your yard to the glory of God. You can go running in the morning. I don't know why people do that, but they do. Let's see them. To the glory of God. There's not a thing on this earth long as it's not sinful, that you and I cannot do, that God has given to us to be able to experience and do, that we cannot do to His glory. The key is, a lot of times, we just don't want Him to be a part of that. But when He's a part of our fishing, when He's a part of our running, when He's a part of our sports, when He's a part of our hobby, and we allow Him to come into every room of our life and have free reign to do things... We we can glorify Him in anything that we do, right? Anything. And so again, they could have been experiencing the great glory of God, and they will experience it in a second, but in the moment, they are not doing that. Paul said it like this, Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily, ask for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, You are serving the Lord Christ. So spending time fishing can honor the Lord if we are fishing for the Lord. Everything in our life would change if we were doing it for the glory of Jesus. 
So living in a way that ignores our calling like the men are doing here in this moment will just only come up an empty net. The Lord's call had been a call for them to move beyond that life and to become a fisher of men. And this call that Jesus gave them is a call to the fullness of life. They needed, listen, they needed to arrive in Galilee ready to pursue their calling. What Jesus had entrusted them to do and they needed to be, not go back to their old way. And it's the same for us. Listen, church. Too much has gone on in your life, in your faith life, to go back to old ways. Don't go back there. That old faith and that old aspect of things, again, there are lessons to learn from those moments, but Christ is calling us forward. He's calling us further into His heart and His purposes in using us. And so going back to some old way is not going to be an answer. It's walking in His way that is going to be the fruitfulness that comes in our life by following them and so following him. And so they arrive in Galilee, not ready to pursue, and so they're a bit aimless that's there. And let's just be honest, we have all learned in our own lives, I have, we, have, we are professional justifiers of some of the decisions that we make. We have learned how to justify any and everything that we do. And I'm not just talking about sin, I'm just talking about, I'm talking about even things like idleness or priorities, whatever the case may be, we have learned to justify. And I think on this day, they, were, they had learned to do it. It's okay for us. We're supposed to be on the mountain meeting Jesus, and it's okay for us to be here. So if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, and you've lost your purpose, I want you to hear him from this text say to you, out there on the lake, Casting your net in your own strength and your own wisdom and your own intellect, or if this is the case for me, he's calling you and I back into the purpose in which he has entrusted us, and that is to know him, to walk with him, and to tell the story, the magnificent story that God came in the flesh to bear our sin. He died and he rose, and he offers such a life to follow him. him. So this is where they are. Now look at verse 5. So Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Well, then cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple, this is John, we believe, Pretty positively, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now notice, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus standing on the shore. They weren't expecting Him to be there. Where were they expecting Him to be, if they were honest? On the mountain. That's where. So they're not expecting Him um, to be there. They figure, well, we'll catch up to Him on the mountain in a bit. They had no idea he'd show up on the shore that morning. This word children in the Greek, when you really look at the Greek, um, one of the best resources for understanding this word is, we're not British, I guess maybe the Verlanders might understand this, 
we don't use this word a lot, lads, lads. Um, it's in our American vernacular, we would say guys. This is what the word means in the Greek. Guys, this is the tense of the Greek. Guys, you haven't caught anything, have you? He already knew they hadn't caught anything. He's God, but he also knew that they weren't going to catch anything because they weren't where they were supposed to be. And he's going to teach them a lesson. The indication of the verb tense there um, indicates this, that he was not surprised at all that they had not caught anything. And watch what he's going to teach them and watch what you and I need to learn. He's going to teach them that they need to understand that their lack of sufficiency can only be met by God himself. He's the answer to their emptiness. So a careful look at each of their fishing endeavors in the New Testament shows that they never caught any fish without his intervention when he was around them. They need him. You and I need him in every kind of way in our lives. Jesus' direction is better. So he talks to them and just says, guys, you haven't caught anything, have you? So he says, hey, here's what you do. If you'll cast your net on the right side of the boat, you're going to find some. I know where they are. So again, they don't know him, so they cast it. I'm not sure why they obeyed the guy on the shore. They don't know it's Jesus, but they cast it. And there were so many fish that came in that they were unable to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Again, they were supposed to be waiting for him on the mountain. So out of boredom or whatever reason it is, they go fishing on this night. And they're just doing things in their own strength, in their own wisdom, their own desires. And all night it resulted in absolutely nothing. Professional fishermen failing to catch one fish. Jesus then says, cast your net here, go here, follow me here, do this. And when things get righted in our lives, what happens? God works. He's moving. He's providing. Let me tell you the truth about something that we all know. God knows the specific knowledge to where every fish is and for every provision that you and I need in our lives. He knows where every provision already is. And he'll provide it. He's calling us to trust him that he would be our great provider. So he instructs them to do this and this miracle happens. You see, when Jesus directs and speaks, things happen. And note that it's when they're Obedience is right with Christ that fishing results happened. It's obedience to the words of Jesus that bring about the good results that you and I need in our lives. And at this moment, John must have quickly connected. You ever quickly connected something? Oh, this is like that. See, back in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, listen to this story. On one occasion when the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. And so getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. 
And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, let's go out and let's put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter said, Master, all night long we just were out there. We caught nothing, nothing. But at your word, we'll go out and we'll cast down our nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat, probably John, to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. I want you to note this. This is such an important principle. In Luke 5 and now in John 21, in each instance they were able to see that Jesus is the source of their success. He is the source of the fruit happening when we yield to him and when we obey him. Note the two uniqueness of these two stories. In the first, he's present in the boat with them, directing them, just as he is when he was there in the ministry, walking with them. Now in John 21, he's on the shore, kind of picturing heaven from a distance in a sense that he will still be able to what? Direct their success and to speak into their lives even though there is something different that is about to happen and take place. Both are a picture of his work and him granting the success that you and I need. And John in that moment recognizes, hello, hello, Peter. And I don't know if he knocks him on the head. I don't know what he does, but he just says, Peter. Did you note that he said it directly to Peter? And I just wondered if Peter over those weeks and those days had been wrestling with his denials. What am I going to do? And in the most critical moment, I just said, I don't know him. I cursed about him. And I bet Peter is just in his mind just thinking, is there any possibility I can ever be restored? And in that moment, John says to Peter, Peter, that's the Lord. (laughs) There he is again. He's on the shore. Jesus has moved. He has directed them. He has done a God work in the midst of their gathering of fish. And at times, all that you and I can say is, it's the Lord. And just lift our hands to get on our knees, to give thanks, to call someone and say, I want to tell you about the Lord and what He has done and how He has provided and how obedience to Him is worth it in every circumstance. You see, Jesus is the Lord of the lake. He's the Lord of the fish. He's the Lord of the other side of the boat. He's the Lord of the nets not breaking. He knows where every provision that you and I need is located. And you know where it's located? With Him. It's located with Him. So did you hear that? Every provision that we need is found in a relationship with Jesus. Do we believe that? God shares His resources with those who follow Him and walk with Him. He is the God of blessing and He is the God of provision. And when we obey the Lord, He gives the power and He gives the success. When we want to just do it on our own, we're frustrated, it's not as fulfilling, 
because we're not doing it to His glory. All night was man-centered. And then just a moment, just a moment, just a moment, it becomes God-centered and He gives them zero to 153 fish. Now I want to talk about verse 7. We have two, this point and a short one and one other point and we'll be finished. I want to talk about relentless running after Jesus. Have, have y'all seen Forrest Gump, the movie? There's a beautiful picture, a Bible scene that's there. I don't think that's the writers of the movie meant it to be a Bible scene. Do you remember when Forrest has become very successful in the shrimping business and Lieutenant Dan shows up on the dock? Do you remember what Forrest does? He jumps out of a running boat and just leaves the, the boat pilotless. Why? Because Forrest loved who? Lieutenant Dan. And he had to, the boat didn't matter. Getting to Lieutenant Dan mattered. And I want you to notice, for the second time in his life, Peter gets out of a boat and leaves his friends and gets in the water. I'm not the best swimmer in the world. I can promise you I've never swam 100 yards in one instant. That's a football field, 100 yards, 300 feet. That's a long ways, people, okay? Now, for Olympians and swimmers, that's nothing. But for we normal people, that's a long way. I, I hope you see this. I hope you see the magnificence of this. What does broken Peter want more than anything in that moment in his life? I've got to get to Jesus. I've got to get to the one that I love and I blew, I blew it with my mouth. My impulsivity, which has dominated my life and my mouth and my lack of faith and trust and my lack of courage. I want you to note the courage that he shows. 100 yards out in the middle of a lake, he jumps out with clothing on. We go swimming with swimsuits. Why? His cloak. This cloak that he puts on, not thinking. He's taken his cloak off so that his arms could be free to cast the net. Now he, in a moment of excited, just puts this long thing on, which is going to get what? Weighted down. He should have just jumped in and let the guys bring his cloak, but he doesn't care. He just in that moment, has a relentless running after Jesus. And I just want to ask myself, and I want to ask you this morning, every student, every adult, every husband, wife, single person, for those of us who know Jesus in a relationship with Him, is there a relentless running in our lives after Jesus? When He speaks and, and we recognize, oh, I've, I've been doing this on my own. And when we recognize that and we know that He's clearly called, do we relentlessly run back to get with Him and to be with Him? Jesus said to him, follow me. Stand with me. Walk with me. Swim to me. Run to me. But Peter, you've got to leave your old ways behind. Why such a response for Peter? 
Well, when you betray the Lord three times and you've not had a chance to really talk one-on-one, you ought to go to that friend. You ought to go to your Lord and talk to him. So he just throws himself in the water and travels 100 yards. He leaves fishing and he leaves fish on the boat. I want you to picture him when he gets to the shore. Anybody think he's tired? Maybe breathing hard. But there's sometimes in the moment when you get there, that doesn't matter. And there he is face to face with Jesus once again. I want to challenge us from me to you and from you to me and from God to us to be the kind of people that relentlessly run after Jesus no matter what. We'll look at verse 9. We'll finish up here. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Let me just note a few things here that I think are really incredibly important. Jesus wants fellowship with you and I. He wants fellowship with you and I. Again, they're not in the place that they're supposed to be. This was not the plan for them to meet on the shore. Sometimes the beauty of God's great mercy and God's great grace is that we're not where we're supposed to be and He comes. And He'll step into that midst to remind us that we need Him. By the way, this is the first ever church fish fry right here. Here it is. There's been a lot in the history of the world. Here's the first one that's there. Quite a few miracles on this morning. Quite a few miracles. 153 fish. So I did a little fishing research on the Sea of Galilee. Typical, really good fish, about two pounds. If you notice there, it says that they were large fish, 153 of them. Let's just say 150 times two. How much did the fish weigh? About 300 pounds worth of fish. Then you got the nets that are wet and the other things that are connected to it. This is a heavy, heavy catch that has happened and taken place. So you got that miracle. You know how Jesus makes breakfast? He just says breakfast. And there it is. When Peter gets to the shore, what's there? There's a fire. There's bread. There's fish. And I love what happens. They get to shore, and he's made a provision. And watch this. He invites them to bring some of their provision that he's given to them to be a part of the meal. He knows they're hungry. They've been out all night. And he's got some stuff there, but he's inviting them in. And he, Jesus does that with us. He invites us in to join him in the work. Here's what they found out on the lake. That without Christ's leadership, it ultimately results in nothing. Here's what they found on the shore. Warmth, food, fellowship. There in the early morning hours, they get reconnected with Jesus, who has every provision that they need in their lives. Every single thing that they didn't have on the boat all night long in their own efforts, they found on the shore from Jesus. Now, he has provided for them out on the lake. 
And he's going to invite them to give that in. It's not a bad day of fishing once Jesus got involved in it. It's pretty amazing what happened and took place. Zero to 153. John wrote this about 50 years after the event. And I think as he wrote it, he must have smiled. Thinking about what an incredible day that was. All night long on our efforts. 50 years of walking with Jesus after Jesus had ascended, John had, as he writes this. Thinking back on his life and the moments when he did trust the Lord and the moments when he didn't always trust the Lord. And he knew that what he had learned and they had all learned on that night was that we must trust in Christ. In verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. This is an invitation from Jesus to come and dine and be in relationship with Him. It's an invitation to His holiness to be at the same table, to eat the same food, and to sit beside Him. And it's also an invitation. I want to stress this as well. Guess who also? It's just not Peter and Jesus there. It's Peter and who? His brothers. This is absolutely important. There's not a person in the room who doesn't need community, who doesn't need to sit down with other believers to eat. This is important. Jesus invites them to dine with Him, but He also invites them to dine with one another. To sit down with one another and to look in, with one, in one another's faces and to have community. One other thing I want to note, and, and, and we'll finish this up with some practical things. Look at verse 11. Peter was a strong man. Look at verse 11. So Simon went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Who pulled the whole entire net of fish ashore? Peter did. Strong man, physically. Men in the room. In our day and time, there's been a lot in the days past, last 15, 20 years to put down strong men who are courageous and who who fight for righteousness and do the right thing. I want you to note Peter here. He's unbelievably physically strong. And on the day of Pentecost, his life is going to be unbelievably changed. He's going to be filled by the Spirit and he's going to become this shepherd, this tender man who is strong physically, strong spiritually, and yet tender and caring and giving. And I want to call the men in the room to that reality that God calls men to that. Our culture has tried to effeminize men, put down men in the role, and I want to remind you and I that God has called us to something different. Has He not? That's not a statement that women are weak. Women are not weak. But God has called men to be strong in every kind of way. So here's Peter getting on board, pulling out probably 350 pounds of fish and net and other things that are connected to that. And yet when you see him in the book of Acts, he's spiritually strong and there's a tenderness that is there as well when you read First and Second Peter. Jesus is relational. So the text just closes. None of them asked him, who are you? They knew who it was. 
And he came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. And so it was with the fish. And John reminds us again, he wants us to get this. He wants us to get it. So the third time, this was the third time that Jesus had revealed himself to the disciples after he has been raised from the dead. So I want to just briefly talk about the lessons we can learn from this this morning. Y'all okay with that? Is that not a fantastic story? It's just amazing. How God comes where they're not supposed to be and reminds them you're not supposed to be here, but I'll work even in the midst of this. Here's the first lesson from this. And this is an important one. We are inadequate. He is sufficient. We are inadequate. He is sufficient. He serves and provides. Secondly, obeying Jesus' words bring blessing. Disobeying Jesus' words bring empty nets, emptiness. When Peter obeyed, the Lord almost sank their boat with 153 fish. But when they trusted, when they trusted him, he provided. Disobedience will only lead to failure. Everything that they were doing in their own way, when they were supposed to be on the mountain, it resulted in zero, zilch, nothing. No fish caught. Net after net being cast all night long. And it wasn't until Jesus came. I want to remind us also what Jesus says in John 15, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. That's how you express that you know me. By obeying me. So obeying Jesus' words brings blessing. Here's the third lesson here. And we're going to talk more about this next week in Jesus' conversation with Peter. People are to be our focus, not fish. People are to be our focus, not fish. Jesus had already called Peter to be focused on men, people, lost people, families. And on that night he just says hey man let's just go and everybody said okay we'll go with you and they went back to focusing on on their old life a fish when Jesus said no I have a grander purpose for you and it's not this it's people telling the story here's the fourth lesson in spite of our recent failure relentlessly run after Jesus that's what Peter does in the boat just jumps out and has got to get to Jesus faster than he can. And his heart has been broken, and I wonder what he thought as he was swimming ashore. But he knew he had to get to Jesus. He had to run to Jesus. He had to get into his presence. One last thought with that. Let's be honest again. One of the, one of the great tools of the enemy is to bring up our past isn't it? Do not let, if you're a follower of Jesus, our past mistakes keep us from being restored to Jesus again. Don't. Don't. And Satan is so tricky. He'll encourage, oh, do this, do this, do this, do this. We'll do it. He'll applaud. Way to go, way to go. And then he'll point his finger. You know, a Christian wouldn't do that. 
wouldn't look at that, wouldn't go there, wouldn't choose that. And he'll encourage and then he'll condemn. Don't let a recent failure keep you from running to Jesus. Fifth principle is this. Get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. Have faith. I wondered as he was putting on his cloak before he went in, if he thought, well, you know, he rescued me before. If I drown, he'll get me again. And yet at the same time, it was a moment of not just impulsiveness, but it was great courage. He was going to get to Jesus no matter what. He was going to get to him. Here's the last thing. Our old life pre-Jesus, pre some transformation in our faith that God does, because along the way in our sanctification, does not God transform us again? And, and they become these kind of these signs that we look back in our life of, of what God did. Remember what, remember what the Israelites did when they came into the promise? They would set up stones of what? Remembrance. So it's okay to, to look back. We can't go back to those moments but it's okay to look at them, to learn from them, because they remind us of what God did. And I think in all of our lives, we have signs along the way of our life back there where God did, even though we had come to faith, He had done a transforming work, and we were different from that moment on. We were different at salvation, and now our sanctification, there's a unique encounter that we had with God. God transformed us again, set us in a new direction, a new path to know Him and to walk with Him. And so these things become this this, this great thing in our life. But I do want to remind us of this reality. Learn from our past. Learn from the great things that God has done. But God is always calling us forward. Always calling us to more of Him. Do not, it's not worth it to go back to our old ways before Jesus. Or before something. It's just emptiness. It's just empty nets. It's just casting our net out there, hoping that we'll find life and what we need when we're going to find provision by being connected to Him once again and pursuing Him. Three years before, Jesus had called them to drop their nets and follow Him. And now Peter on this day had picked up his nets again. Tired of waiting, he went back to his old life. And I love God's pursuit of Peter. I'm going to close with this. I love God's pursuit of Peter on that morning. He was not going to allow Peter to be a fisherman again, and he was not going to allow him to catch one single fish. He had something grander for Peter than fish. And then Peter, yes, amazed at the catch, was more amazed at the one who had allowed it and who had provided it. And I wonder for us today, as we finish, is it time for you and I to lift up our eyes from all of our own efforts? To quit trying to be in control of things? And to come back to Him? And to lift our eyes up again at Him and recognize He is the provider. We are not. We are not the provider. He is. He entrusts, 
And then we have things to provide for our families, to provide for the church, to provide for friends and neighbors and all of that. But ultimately, we want to lift our eyes up and recognize that he is the one who provides. And I love that God relentlessly pursues us. Are you not thankful? How amazing that is, that when we're off course, he still will step in and call us back to him. What a God. What a God who's worthy of every bit of our trust. Let's pray.